my name is Russ White, and I believe we will go ahead and get started uh, tonight so that uh, we can end by, we're supposed to end by nine, is that right? <laughs> I have about 3,000 slides to show you, so we're going to go ahead and get started uh, and talk about this, this uh, topic, missions medicine and academic medicine and unlikely marriage. Uh, we're going to discuss a little bit about how does the academic world impact the mission field and how can the two be married together. And I hope this is a bit of a challenge to you tonight. I work at Tenwick Hospital, uh, which is in Kenya, East Africa. I've been there, this is my 13th year now starting there. Uh, I am a general and thoracic surgeon. Uh, and I'll share with you just briefly about those different things, what we do at Tenwick Hospital. And I want to challenge your thoughts a little bit about some of the areas of academic medicine and missionary medicine, which historically have been fairly diverse, but I believe in the right context and in the right paradigm can be brought together. Um, this is where I work about 15% of my time at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. I spend clearly the minority of my time there. Uh, every three or four years, I spend about six months working there. I'll be there next fall working for about six months and maintain an appointmentship through the university uh, in the program. But I spend the majority of my time at this place, which is Tenwick Hospital in the highlands of Kenya, uh, western Kenya on the western side of the Great Rift Valley. And this is where I clearly spend the majority of my time uh, working there in the mission setting. My family is all with me. Uh, my son, this guy right here, is, is debuting in the lead role of his high school musical tonight in Nairobi at the Rift Valley Academy. And uh, I very much wish I could be there, but I can't. I'm here, and I'm happy to be here, but I'm going to go home and see a tape with him uh, in that particular production. But uh, my whole family is there with me. My last two children, uh, this one and this one, were born there. Uh, I delivered each of these children, um, and they're very special to me uh, as a family. What I'd like us to look at tonight in the next three hours, no, in the next uh, 50 minutes or so, is these areas. To understand the progression from classic medical missions which, as I see it, and obviously this is all in my opinion, um, provider-oriented medical missions in the past to a more modern approach which is more teacher-oriented and directed toward capacity building. I'd like us to understand the changing needs of many foreign countries regarding medical missionaries. I'd like us to understand a few different models for academic growth within a mission hospital? How do you achieve academic growth and how do you relate to the world around you in the bigger picture? Uh, and then I'd like us to understand the role which academic and medical research may play in the medical mission hospital. And finally, I'd like us to understand the impact which a short-termer may have upon the academic growth of a medical mission hospital and vice versa. So sort of to put it in, in, in large bites in two big areas. One, how do we relate to academic institutions? How do we as Christian mission organizations relate to secular academic institutions? What type of relationship can we have? What should we have? 
And I have some ideas. I'd be very interested to hear your ideas and have a discussion about that. And then, how does research play a role on the mission field? And what role do short-termers and perhaps research fellows have? And we're going to end this evening with hearing from a research fellow who spent a year at Tenwick doing exactly that um, during his uh, early medical training. And uh, we're going to hear his thoughts, and we'll be open to your thoughts as well. So what I'd like to do is look at this historical perspective, talk about this academic relationship for a brief time, and then have a discussion about that, give you a chance to share your views and what do you think and uh, generate some discussion, and then talk about the role of research and short-term visitors at the Mission Hospital, and we'll have some time uh, with our uh, uh, research fellow who spent time at Tenwick, and then again end with a time of discussion. So that's our plan and our way forward for the next time here. So historically, this looks like a fairly classic missionary picture, don't you think? From Africa, a torn old picture. And this is the only picture I have of myself uh, on the mission field. That's me right there. Um, my parents were medical missionaries in the Congo. Most of our pictures were, were burned up when the revolution hit the Congo uh, way back when in the, in the early 60s. And so my older brothers and my younger sister all have baby books. I don't. I don't have any. I have a few pictures, and this is one of them. And it's torn. <laughs> it's the only one I have of the time on the mission field. And that was a time when doctors would go, and my, my own father, who was a general practitioner, and in those days, of course, a general practitioner meant do everything, um, served in, in eastern Congo, what was known as Stanleyville in that area then, before the revolution, doing everything, taking care of everybody, and not involved in any type of training programs. And I spent, as a medical student, time in West Africa doing exactly that thing, and I felt clearly like the Lord was calling me to missions, because where is the need? When you compare the need, comparing America to so many other places, where is the need greater? To me, the answer was clearly obvious. Uh, I remember sitting as a medical student in Ann Arbor, Michigan, looking through the phone book of doctors and saying, you know, looking at 2,000 doctors and saying, now, where would I be most effective? In Ann Arbor or in Africa somewhere? The answer to me was very clear. Uh, but at that time working and taking care of lots and lots of patients, doing incredible types of things, and taking care of very urgent needs. But in the long run, where did that end up? And when I look at where I particularly worked in Sierra Leone, uh, I see that much of that was destroyed during their revolution, and there was nobody to take up that cause. So I was really very much moved that the future of medical missions needs to be in the area of training and discipling in taking national doctors and nurses and whatever type of healthcare workers you're talking about and training them and discipling them uh, to be part of God's plan for carrying out the full gospel, and by that I mean ministry to the body, soul, and spirit throughout Africa. Um, my own father accomplished some of this when in the second term they started a hospital called IME, or Institut Medical Evangelique in Kimpesi, 
uh, Congo, which is where I was born, and that place exists today. And they are training doctors. They brought in an international group of people training uh, clinical officers, phys uh, physicians, assistants, nurses, and doctors, and that place is still going today. So I was very much affected, and I think as you look over the, the world today, those needs are very real, that many countries are not interested in having a missionary in or a doctor simply to do the work, but they are very interested in having somebody come and be involved in training in their programs and training the young doctors in that area up. And I personally believe that's where we ought to be heading. So at our particular hospital, we're very involved in training. When I first went in 1992 as a resident, there were no interns. There was no internship program. That program got started and has grown phenomenally so that in the early years when I arrived in 97, we had a handful of interns, which has turned into a larger handful of interns, which turned into a larger group of interns, which finally has turned into a very large training program at Tenwick Hospital, so that every year now we are training 16 interns who graduate uh, in their resident in their internship program. We have a surgical training program and a family practice residency training program. And personally, I believe this is really where we ought to be focusing. Uh, we also have a nursing school and a chaplaincy training school. Uh, and this area of discipleship, to me, is where we ought to be focusing. When we add our visitors are visiting residents and students and short-term staff. It becomes quite a group. This is not a posed picture, as it were. This is a normal morning get-together of educational conference at our hospital. So there's a large group of people who show up every morning for teaching and training, and I believe that's the way to go forward. Now, some of the questions I'd like us to raise about if we are going to be academic institutions, how do we relate to secular institutions. We are a very clearly committed Christian institution, but how do we relate to those academic institutions which are not? How do we develop vital training programs in a decidedly Christian setting and remain in the world, but not of the world? That's one of the questions. So that we can bring together all of these groups and share with them. This is my main ministry. I firmly believe that that's where God wants me to be, training these young Kenyan, Ethiopian, Sudanese, Cameroonian, whatever they are, doctors, in uh, their, their medical uh, skills as well as their faith. But is there an opportunity to minister to others and enhance our teaching program? Is that possible? That's one question to answer. So one model of this is that, and many hospitals do this, all permanent and visiting staff must be professing and practicing Christians. That's one model by which many mission hospitals run. The strengths of that are that it provides a clear statement of the mission to, of the institution and it avoids miscommunication of values to staff and the patients. The weaknesses are that it potentially reduces the validity and credentials of the academic institution. If you say we are a qualified, first-class teaching institution, but we will have nothing to do with secular institutions, that puts you in a somewhat difficult position if you're trying to maintain quality teaching. And then rejection of potential learning for students. Model number two. The spiritual staff take care of the spiritual issues. The chaplains deal with the heart, the doctors deal with the body. 
any qualified medical staff can function within the stated codes of conduct. So you can take anybody who's medical and say, you're just taking care of bodies. The chaplains are taking care of spirits. The strengths, well, you have a greater pool of permanent and visiting staff. The weaknesses are it very much eliminates a holistic approach to a patient. And you're kind of dividing up a patient, saying, well, I do this part, you do this part. There's some truth to that, but at Tenwick, we really do believe every one of us ought to be involved with all aspects of the patient. Uh, and in the possible, it can lead to the disintegration of the values and goals of the Mission Hospital. A third model, all permanent staff must be Christians and visiting staff must simply abide by rules of conduct. I know mission hospitals that do this. They may set a time frame. So if you're there for less than a month, we don't really care what you believe, but we want you to obey these rules. That is the way some mission hospitals run. Strengths, it gives you a larger pool of potential visiting staff. It gives you greater interaction with academic institutions, and you do have a potential for ministry to these visiting staff. The weakness is, depending upon the numbers of visiting staff you bring, there's a significant potential for dilution or even direct conflict with the overall goals of the Mission Hospital if you find that at the end of the day, most of your visiting staff are not Christians. And finally, model four, all permanent staff and what I've called general visiting staff must be Christians. Sponsored quote-unquote, visiting academic staff must abide by behavioral codes and understand the overall mission of the hospital. Sponsored visiting academic staff must be supervised and must be involved in academic and teaching programs. This, I would say, is probably the model closest to what we're doing at our hospital. Uh, in general, all of our staff are uh, Christians, but for our teaching programs, we have interchange and we have sponsored staff who come under the direction and supervision of one of our full-time staff. Jesus went teaching and preaching and healing all throughout his area. And I believe we should be doing the same. And our actions, our testimony in our lives can be a very clear ministry to others. Many people who perhaps do not share the degree of faith that I do, are certainly moved by helping those in need, helping a child like Joel here who, who came to us with an abscess in his neck and after we incised and drained it, found that it was not just an abscess, but it was Kaposi sarcoma. And Joel's dying of HIV AIDS and Joel did die at the hospital. But people are moved by that and want to help and you can have a ministry to those people as well. In this respect, we've developed a, a rotation with Brown University where we bring two or three residents every year to Tenwick. They must understand what they're getting into. They must understand that Tenwick is a Christian institution very clearly, Bible-believing, and we discuss faith with our patients. Um, but we've had a variety of residents come over the years and it's been interesting to see how that has developed. We've had 15 residents come. I've never sent one of them home. I have sent some Christian visiting staff home who weren't behaving well. Now, the numbers, of course, are a little skewed there because most of our visitors are Christians. But I've never yet had to send one of these home. Um, they're exposed to a broad range of surgical uh, procedures and conditions. They work in our new surgical facility right here, which we built a few years back. 
They're exposed to all types of different uh, procedures. They usually do in a four-week experience 75 to 100 cases and 40 to 50 endoscopic cases, ranging from all sorts of things, from from goiters, uh, which you see small and big, to to cleft lips. And all of these cases that you're seeing, I've done with visiting residents who've been at the hospital to repairing uh, cleft lips and palates, uh, to a wide variety of unusual parasitic diseases like echinococcal disease of the liver that you see here, to various unusual worm conditions like a four-year-old child with worms in the common duct. That's not a very common one. There's 13 worms out of the common duct and the 14th in the gallbladder itself. Unusual experiences which many people are very interested in partaking of. Uh, bowel obstructions from worms which now, we're before dinner, right? Nobody's just eaten dinner, I hope. Nobody had spaghetti, I'm, I'm hoping, because we see things like this frequently. You know, you can send those worms off to the lab to be tested and find out their ascaris, but that's really, you know, you're wasting your money, i found. The taste test is usually the best way, and uh, once you've experienced it, you'll never have to send it to the lab again. Uh, tapeworms come in all sorts of varieties, um, oh, here's our own Dr. Spears, who's in the front row, uh, looking a bit surprised at a tapeworm out of the nose or mouth of the patient, extending pretty far. And I believe that's Dr. Chupp's artwork, uh, who's also in the uh, audience tonight. Uh, if you get bored while the resident's closing, you can do something interesting with the worms while you're there. So the residents have a tremendous experience medically. They see all sorts of different things. Um, there's one of our local surgeons uh, finishing a case, and they see oncologic cases. This was a Wilms tumor that I did with one of our visiting residents from Brown University. That's the patient, and that's the tumor after one-third of the body weight has been removed from that patient, and that's the patient, again, after her surgery is done. Uh, they see all types of trauma, uh, many arrows, very, very common to see these kind of things. <clears throat> they see such a wide variety of experiences in orthopedics and pediatrics and plastics and urology. We have a new program in urology we're working on in neurosurgery. Uh, the neurosurgical cases like spina bifida and encephaloceles are so common that we see uh, POTS disease of the spine, TB of the spine, replacing that. Here's replacing it with a rib. That operation was done first by, by God, by the way. Um, he created a total mess when he <laughs> took a rib a long time ago. But I don't do that. I don't do any of that sort of thing. But, but using, uh, using rib and replacing uh, uh, spine and allowing people to walk who couldn't walk. Here's the youngest patient I've operated. This was with one of our visiting residents, a three-year-old with Pott's disease of the spine, unable to walk, completely paralyzed. There's that child a week after surgery. I thought there's no way that child will ever walk again. Completely paralyzed for six months. And praise God, that's one week after surgery, uh, experiencing, and that's God's work, only God's work. And when residents and visiting staff and others see this, they are moved to understand who is healing. And the motto that we have at Tenwick, we treat and Jesus heals, impacts them in a tremendous way when they realize what's going on. We looked at this in a slightly more scientific way a few years back in an article we published in the Journal of American College of Surgeons looking at this idea of 
an international volunteer program. And I do realize you have to keep this carefully under control because it can come out of control, but I believe we're doing it well. We looked at, at three groups at Brown University, those residents who hadn't gone to Tenwick, those who had gone to Tenwick, and those who were faculty, and asked them to review this situation and tell us what they thought about these residents. Um, the majority of whom were non-Christians when they came to Tenwick. Uh, many have actually changed since that point. Uh, and let me, again, reemphasize, my main ministry is to the young African doctors. That's where I believe God's called me. But can we have an impact on others? I believe we can. And should we thank God when we do? Yes, I believe we should. Uh, so we looked at all those, and we found that most American residents want some kind of international experience. Uh, most of them have not had any type of experience when they begin their residency. Um, interestingly enough, and if there are any program directors here of residency programs, more than half of the general surgical residents at Brown University say that the availability of an international rotation overseas was a major factor in choosing their residency program. And in this day and age of people not filling programs, that's an important factor uh, for them to do that. Um, most of them, all of the residents who came, said that their experience would make them more likely to consider such a thing in the future, and they would recommend it to others. 90% of the faculty and 95% of the non-participating residents felt that the residents who came back we're better at decision-making, better at physical examination, and generally better at cost-effectiveness. Uh, and when I go back and work there, the other faculty will tell me, they'll say, there's something, those, pe those residents are just, they're better people when they come back. I don't know what it is. I say, well, I know what it is. I'll tell you if you have a minute. We can have a cup of coffee, and I'll share with you what I believe it is. It's the love of God, and it's the influence of Christ, whether or not they know it. That's what it is that's changing them. The faculty universally felt this, it's valuable for the residents. Now, when you ask them, should they have that, in, that, that opportunity, even if it means you're going to lose a resident on your service, only then, then half of them said, well, I'm not sure about that. But uh, they still felt it was very effective. And residents of the faculty group, 90%, felt that when they come back, they're better uh, equipped they exhibit better surgical competency, and that it's necessary to have a board-certified surgeon working between the two groups. I mention these things for those of you who are thinking about how in the world can you be involved overseas, you may be one of those people. Uh, and of our faculty, three-quarters of them, these are the, the secular faculty at Brown University, three-quarters of them would like to be involved somehow. Here's an interesting slide of a German medical student a Kenyan medical student, an American resident from Brown University, and one of our Kenyan visiting surgeons. And that mix of people makes for a great group, I believe. And all of those things put together allows for academic interchange, allows for a program to grow and develop academically while still maintaining our very clear Christian focus on what we do. What we concluded from that study is that most surgical residents are interested in something like this. Most do not have the opportunity, and the available of an elective is an important factor in choosing a residency. 
There's general agreement that the overall competency of residents improves, and I agree with that from having watched residents. Coverage issues are important, of course, and the participation of faculty members important. You need to have some things to make this work. You have to have a U.S. and an international site. You have to have faculty members moving between the two sites. You have to have agreement between the two and ancillary staff coordination and certainly housing. Housing is always an issue. That's our guest house at Tenwick Hospital and it's always full and trying to find housing is always an issue. You need to address issues like the religious and faith-based nature of many such programs. How are you going to deal with that? If you're planning to set up such a program at your hospital, how will you address the faith issue? How I've done it at Brown is often in a cultural framework. So I'll tell them, we would like the Brown residents who come to have a cultural experience in Africa and to experience life just the way our Kenyan residents do. And they say, that's wonderful. We're all for culture. I say, all right, let me tell you what that means. That means they go to Bible studies, they come to my house for Bible studies, they attend church services, they meet with the chaplains who are talking with the patients about their faith every day. Um, they meet, they pray with the patients before they have surgery. And if they're not comfortable with that, please don't send them. Please don't allow them to come. They're comfortable with that. And that rules out a certain group of people right off the bat. Um, if they're comfortable with all that, then we can have a, a, a dialogue together about this whole thing. Um, funding is an issue, and we were, thankfully, we were lucky enough for, by the providence of God, we have a, an endowment fund which covers that, which was supplied by an absolute dyed-in-the-wool, ethnically Jewish, religiously atheist friend of mine, uh, who absolutely does not believe in anything, um, but felt this would be good for the residents. And uh, when he called me and told me that, I said, wow, God can work through anybody. And uh, I said, you know, these residents are going to hear about Jesus. And he said, oh, don't tell me about Jesus. Just show them some surgery. And I said, well, they'll get both of those things. And, and uh, there, there, there are dangers, and you have to be careful of some of these things. The danger of the slippery slope is real, and I believe it's there, and you have to watch it. You have to be careful. You, you can't let this program develop into what runs the hospital. But I believe it has a place, and I believe done appropriately and correctly and with the appropriate long-term staff follow-up, this can work. In everyone's life, at some time, our inner fire goes out. You know, mo most secular people are very interested in hearing Schweitzer. They're, they're open to hear Schweitzer. It's then burst into flame uh, by an encounter with another human being. We should all be thankful for those people who rekindle the inner spirit. Schweitzer often talked in very secular type terms. This little guy, Joel, who was burned badly in his, uh, his head, uh, his back, his chest, uh, was with us for about four months, had a significant impact on people at Tenwick Hospital. This is an email that I got last two months ago from one of our visiting Hindu residents. He was a Hindu uh, resident from Brown University who came to Tenwick. He says, Dr. White, six years ago you said, yes, and let me come to Tenwick and work for all of you as a visiting non-Christian. This changed my life. It led me to my witness to Christ's message and his work. 
You can read the rest. I want to thank you all for helping me see Christ's message the way it was intended to be seen. It is your actions, not anyone else's words, that changed my views and opened my eyes. I know there are many Christians who want to go to serve at Tenwick as short-term visitors, but please consider accepting the non-Christians too. There are many smart people with so much misunderstanding about Christ where I'm from, and they will not be changed by words alone. This young man is a Christian today because of what God did to him at Tenwick Hospital. That is not my main ministry. But if God chooses to use that time, I say praise God for that. If you're in residency and you're thinking, well, what can I do eventually to be in sort of an academic situation? Cultivate relationships now with academic admission programs. Begin developing proposals that you will be a representative. This is actually a good time. For example, in the American College of Surgeons, there's a big push towards volunteerism. Well, you can capitalize on that as a Christian and use that type of influence to say, yes, volunteerism is good, helping others is good, and let me tell you why I help others. Because Christ died for me, because Christ is, leads me, and that's what I want. This, this Hindu young guy told me, he said, you know, in Hinduism, the end of the, the story is, is nothingness, is nirvana. That's what we're seeking for. And there's nothing in Hindu, this is his words, there's nothing I've ever learned about helping others, and it wasn't until I saw Christians helping others that I was challenged, that there's more to life than nothingness. And he became a Christian because of that. So, I'd like to take a few minutes and have some discussion, and then we're going to look at research and the role of short-term people on the field. So I'd like us to think about a few questions. What model is most appropriate for a Christian academic mission institution? And what model, or maybe you have other models that look more like, because I know there are people here from other mission hospitals, what is more like your model or what you envision in your mind, what benefits do mission hospitals realize from such relationships? If there are any comments, I'd be very happy and questions to take them now and we'll have a discussion and then we'll move on. Yes? The question is about struggle to maintain um, a position at Brown and in Kenya. Um, you do need a program that is, that is sensitive to those needs. If you have a, for example, if you have a program director who's not supportive, it's never going to work. It's just never going to work. The program director at Brown has been to Tenwick. He's a, he's a close friend of mine. I can't speak for his faith. <laughs> He wouldn't like me to <laughs> here. But he knows what we're about at Tenwick, and he knows what we stand for, and he respects the fact that we are trying to do it in an academically upright way. He may not agree with all my theology. In fact, I'm pretty sure he doesn't agree with all my theology. But he does respect that we're trying to do something to improve the care of medicine and the training in medical fields in Africa we certainly have our own very clear theologic point of view, but he's respectful of that. So keeping that up, um, I'll tell you, I've, I've received, when I go back to Brown, I work in that program, there's nobody that's opposing of that. Now, I'm only there for six months. If I stayed permanently, they might oppose me, you know, because I might be stepping on toes and getting in the turf 
But when I go back and work for four to six months, I take care of all the uninsured patients, and they're very happy to have me do that. And that's what I do in Africa. So I'm very comfortable doing that. That's what I do in life. So uh, I don't end up stepping on toes in that area. But you do have to maintain that, that relationship with the university. I think, for example, the university, when, when they look at this program and review it, they ask, what have you published? What are, what are, they want to see those kind of academic things, and you need to be working on those. And we're going to talk about that in a minute or two, about developing some of those things which, to a secular academic institution, are what they value, publications with their name on it. So we do that. We publish things with their name, and we maintain a good relationship. Any others? Okay, we will have time at the end as well for further questions and discussion. Uh, so let's, let's move on and just talk briefly about research and short-term work and fellowship-type work on the mission field. I've listed a few of the programs that we've I say completed, there, nothing's ever fully completed. But we've looked at a program for cytologic screening for esophageal cancer at our institution, which is the number one cancer that we see. We're going to hear a little bit about that. We've looked at stenting for esophageal cancer, and we are currently the busiest center, I believe, in the world for esophageal stenting of cancers. We've looked at some geographic distribution of these, and we've looked at some areas. Anytime you see iatrogenic injuries and you're experts in that, you say, oh, so you've caused a lot of problems. Well, we have, but we've learned how to, to deal with those problems as well. We have a number of research projects underway, many in the area of esophageal cancer, uh, from risk factors to uh, palliative care of these patients, um, trying to look at all ends of the spectrum so that we can take patients like this. This is a patient that we see every single day. Every day I see a new cancer patient, cancer of the esophagus at Tenwick, and most of them look like this. He's 29 years old. He hasn't eaten anything in five months. He's lost 50 pounds of weight. He can't work. He can't do anything. He can't swallow his own saliva. We've dilated him and stented him, and that's his first drink of any sort of liquid in the last month. That's the day of stenting, and that's four weeks later after he's had his procedure. So we are making a difference in some people's lives through areas of research and helping these patients. Here's a 25-year-old woman who's six months after her esophagectomy. She's two years post-esophagectomy. Post that's her six-month-old daughter with her. And that's her six years post-op with her fifth child. That happens to be my fifth child right there as well. Uh, after her esophagus. We are making a difference in some of these patients' lives through areas of research. We have research going on in a whole bunch of different areas, in HIV, some in pediatrics, and GI, and cancer, and then a cardiac program, which we've started as well, which has allowed us to take patients like this. This was our first cardiac patient four years ago. I'm sorry, yes? If I could answer that, I would be winning the Nobel Prize instead of somebody else these days. Um, I don't know the answer to that. But I'm, we're working on it. That's part of our program, and I think Bob knows the answer to that. And he'll, he'll tell you the answer shortly, because uh, he's figured that out. That's one of our main questions that we're trying to sort out, and we don't know the answer. 
Um, but this was the first cardiac patient in 2004 that we did on an, a closed heart, meaning a, a non-bypass situation with the heart beating to do mitral valvulotomy on that patient. We've progressed now to where we're doing open heart cases uh, twice a year, and I believe this was just last month in October when we did 13. These are all open heart cases. They're all uh, less than five days after surgery. Uh, those are 11 of the 13 cases we did that week. That's Lucy, uh, who was one of the patients that we operated. I believe there are probably some people here in this audience tonight who helped take care of this little girl, uh, who was one of the group who her parents had nothing, and she had no option, no way to live. She was not going to live without open heart surgery. And we've developed that program that we're doing now, and I believe we'll be heading towards full-time uh, cases of open heart surgery. So these are some of the areas where research has helped us grow and helped us develop uh, in our, our training programs, in our academic programs, uh, and I believe in our ministry of the gospel of Christ to patients. I'd like to give the next bit of time to a young man, Bob Parker, who came to Tenwick as a fourth-year medical student uh, after an experience fairly similar to this, and I think he'll share that with you, uh, who spent a year doing some research work with us there, and he's going to share from his perspective, from a He's a, a first-year surgical resident at Brown University. What research on the mission field means and uh, what difference a short-termer like him can have on an institution and vice versa. So, Bob, come and share with us. Thank you, Dr. White. And it is uh, a, quite the privilege to be here. Um, three years ago, it was in this chapel that I heard uh, Dr. White speak uh, on a similar topic. Um, at that time, I had uh, become interested in medicine uh, after a few um, brief service trips, anywhere from a week to two months, and I wondered if there was something that I could be more involved in. Um, I wondered if, uh, if there was uh, a, uh, a research project that I could be involved in for a greater period of time, and I met with Dr. White and how, that's how all this got started. Um, so um, between my third and fourth years of medical school, I took a year off and spent some time at Tenwick uh, working with Dr. White uh, on his research projects. While there, I was also involved in uh, some clinical work, uh, quite a bit of endoscopy, and participating in that academic setting. And we were able to, to continue um, some research projects, start a few others, and uh, I, I think that the time was productive. So briefly, we'll talk about main, my main focus, which was esophageal cancer. Um, Dr. White had, had uh, uh, been working on that, and, and I came along to, uh, to assist. Um, esophageal cancer, you can see on the, the map that it occurs in different pockets around the world. It has a high incidence. And Kenya here is one of those pockets of, of a high occurrence. And we're trying to figure out that reason. We don't yet know it, despite the introduction by Dr. White. I still have no idea. Um, but we do know that Tenwick uh, uh, has uh, quite a bit. And we have published that to, uh, to the world to get them excited about it as well. At Tenwick, about a third of all cancers are cancer of the esophagus. And what is unique in Kenya, as opposed to those other 
uh, unique areas with a high occurrence is that a high uh, a predominance of uh, young patients. Uh, Tenwick has seen over 109 patients uh, who are less than 30 years of age. And you don't find that anywhere else. So looking at, at why that is, you can see a comparison uh, with the United States, their distribution compared to Tenwick's. See much younger population. We were able to partner with uh, a, the National Referral uh, Hospital uh, in Nairobi to look at all of their cases as well as, well as ours at Tenwick. And we noticed a, a trend that most of the patients that are less than 30 come from the area right here surrounding Tenwick as opposed to Nairobi. And looking at the ethnicity, uh, we find that the, the majority of those are of uh, Kalenjin ethnicity, which is the predominant uh, tribe around Tenwick Hospital. Uh, this is interesting not only to Tenwick, but also to the scientific community in, in that why, uh, why is this happening? Uh, and this is the, the uh, precipitating factor in getting the, risk, uh, the case control study looking at risk factors. As well as looking at risk factors and epidemiology and that interesting uh, facet of Tenwick, the care at Tenwick is, is also uh, worthy of publication uh, on a global scale. Uh, Tenwick has placed more esophageal stents than any other institution in the world, and there is something to learn from that. Um, and uh, the scientific community is excited to know about uh, what Tenwick is doing and in turn, I hope they can see what God is doing through Tenwick. Also, the, briefly mention the community education, what uh, research can do for the, for the community in that looking at uh, what, uh, what the surrounding community knows about cancer and then doing an education program to see how we can impact um, uh, cancer understanding as well as patient outcomes. So my involvement, uh, I was able to come and participate on, in these ongoing projects. Uh, as many of you are, have probably been at uh, Mission Hospitals, you know that uh, the busyness of the day, the patient right in front of you, uh, is, is often the, uh, the most pressing factor. So research projects tend to get uh, uh, pushed aside. Although important, they're not quite uh, as urgent as that patient right in front of you. So I felt my role was to, uh, to be involved in, in helping to facilitate that research, um, to be focused uh, uh, on that. I also uh, was able to serve as a liaison between uh, researchers in, in the United States, uh, people from the National Institute of Health and uh, the Mayo Clinic, people much brighter than myself, in uh, being able to show the data from Tenwick, uh, analyze the data, and think through it with them. And also being able to write up the experience uh, that Tenwick has, have, has had uh, and uh, what I uh, think the, uh, the amazing things that, that God is doing uh, at that hospital and letting others uh, know about it. Um, one brief slide about the, as technology increases, we're able to uh, uh, work with Tenwick and uh, also 
have these collaborative projects uh, with researchers in the United States who are interested in, in the things uh, going on at Tenwick. Uh, and their thoughts can hopefully benefit uh, the community there. Um, so my time at Tenwick, uh, as many of you in the audience, probably looking to, to be involved in something like this. And as we heard, there, the residency programs, uh, there is a lot of interest in uh, doing something similar to this, um, but there really aren't all that many options. But they are there, and if, uh, if you propose a plan um, that is well thought out, um, and uh, a, a big deal is funding, if you're able to obtain funding, uh, I think that it's possible. My medical school, Indiana University, was very supportive uh, when I came to them with a plan, uh, um, telling them what I was going to do and how I thought it would uh, benefit me, uh, benefit them, uh, and uh, benefit uh, the scientific community. Uh, so not only was my time academically satisfying, working with uh, some of the world's experts on esophageal cancer, uh, it was uh, spiritually profound. Uh, I could talk for hours about uh, that aspect of my time at Tenwick, uh, working alongside uh, uh, people that I aspire to be, um, to be like, uh, seeing them serve God by serving others. And in, uh, in medical training, we're, we're still very much a, an apprentice-type uh, uh, system. So we learn not only knowledge, but we learn how to relate to patients. And uh, in a surger, surgery residency, you learn often who you do not want to become. So it was nice to see in the uh, in, in early part of, uh, of my life uh, what I do want to become, uh, how I can relate to patients, how, uh, how God could uh, hopefully use me in my future. Um, so... Uh, I had hoped, uh, sitting where you are, uh, to be involved in a, uh, a, an academic program, a research project at a mission hospital. Uh, I was able to find uh, a uh, direction to that vision at Tenwick Hospital. I um, was able to be involved in research, looking at a, a community-identified problem, uh, a problem that... Uh, many uh, who have heard about it, the high occurrence of esophageal cancer, are interested in. Um, and I was able to see Tenwick uh, as a marriage that works between an academic institution and a, uh, a medical mission hospital. Uh, now, a marriage requires work, but I believe it's a, a marriage that works. So my time at Tenwick confirmed my desire to practice abroad. It also uh, showed the utility of a... Uh, surgery training program and as a uh, an intern at uh, a uh, fairly rough uh, surgery program it's a constant reminder and uh, encouragement of why I'm doing this so um, I'll send it back over to Dr. White and we'll be happy to take some questions I noticed Bob likes that marriage metaphor. Uh, he's a single guy, you know, and I think he's thinking along those lines, if I'm not 
mistaken. In, in my own thoughts, things I've learned and I'm still learning is to discuss these types of things early with the administration of your hospital because it's going to make a big difference. You can't suddenly bring all, a bunch of people in and then try to explain after why they're there, but talk about it early and develop a budget, which I'm very bad at. I'm not a budget-oriented person. I'd rather, I'll spend the money when I, the needs are there, but I can't predict ahead what's needed, but it's required. And then hire some dedicated research staff. So bringing on people, there are people out there, and so I know there are people in this audience who come from mission hospitals, some who want to go to mission hospitals, and there's loads of booths and things out there to make that that marriage work, to find the partnership that works. I'm not here to, to uh, uh, not necessarily, to promote Tenwick Hospital, but to say this type of thing, you can work in many different institutions and find the, the fit that works for you. And uh, those of you who are interested in academics, in medicine, and missions medicine, you can put these two together if you find the right uh, setup. And then consider having something like a research fellowship. We're looking at starting that at Tenwick. We've just been able to uh, recruit a full-time gastroenterologist who's coming, and that'll help us tremendously. And I think we'll probably be moving into a, a, uh, a research fellowship where we'll take a Kenyan doctor, and then we'll be trying to fund that program where we can have a Kenyan doctor involved and, and turn that into... Uh, an area of discipleship and mentorship uh, as well. So, what role does research play currently in mission hospitals? I know there are some from other mission hospitals here. What components should research play in training programs? And what can be done to proactively facilitate medical research at mission hospitals? You know, you go to mission hospitals and you'll see things being done that are very innovative and very thoughtful uh, and the world wants to know about those things, but we, we generally just keep them quiet. And you only hear about them at mission talks at a church at a church potluck supper, you know. And you say, "Wow, that's really cool. Somebody should publish that." Um, well, I, I agree. We should be. We should be uh, as we develop our teaching and academic programs, research and. Uh, developing a, a higher bar of what we're doing should be part of, of, our, of our work there. So I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. Uh, and we have about five minutes left, and I'm curious if there are some thoughts or questions before we finish up. Yes, in the back. Is this, you're specifically asking about esophageal cancer now, is that right, or, or research in general? So, so the question is regarding the research protocols and programs we have, um, are, they, are they primarily and only foreign uh, involved, or are they involved Kenyan nationals and this type of thing? We work with the Kenya Medical Research Institute, and we work with the the university, University of Nairobi and Kenyatta National Hospital on a number of these programs. Um, those are relationships that I believe need to be built. So this, this case control study which we're developing, which will be the first case control study on this disease in East Africa, 
we are looking at a co collaborative effort with the Kenyatta National Hospital and the Kenyan doctors. I have Kenyan colleagues who are very interested in this as well. As well. What, and they're doing what they can. We get together at national meetings and talk about this problem. And um, so we're trying our best uh, to involve others. We have uh, two Kenyan nurses who are now part of the research team. And our, one of them is involved in all the community program as far as community cancer education. They have a, we have a research study looking at community cancer education more along of a public health lines that he is directing. So we're doing our best to try to make this a collaborative effort. Uh, much of the external resources, it is, is true, come from outside the country, come from either the WHO, we've received funding from them, and from the National Institutes of Health. But those are very international groups that are helping us. Yes, Aaron. Thank you. For those of you who don't know, Moy University is there's two medical institutions, two medical universities in Kenya, Moy University and University of Nairobi. So those are programs going on with Moy University. There was a question over here. Yeah. My salary is. Um, you've heard the church potluck programs. That's where my salary comes from. So I go around. I'm I work for World Gospel Mission which is one of the sending agencies, uh, one of the many type of sending agencies you'd see out here. And I am a full-time missionary for World Gospel Mission. And so I travel around and, and raise my support for what I do. Now, when I work for four months at Brown University, I stop my salary from World Gospel Mission. I take a salary from them for those four months while I'm in the United States. That's about four months every four years that I do that. And that's what Brown has made available to me. Yeah. If you talk operational budget, 100% is paid for, which, now that's a whole other talk. We could be here till 8 o'clock, which I won't. Personally, I don't think that's the right answer. I don't think we should be 100%. I think that's too much. That's another talk. Um, I believe we should be... <laughs> we're so afraid of dependency. We're so afraid of creating dependency, we forget that our relationship with God is one of dependency. We are not meant to be independent from God. 
we're, I'm getting off the subject, I realize, but um, I would like us to see, because we're asking a hospital in rural Kenya uh, with very poor people providing significant health care for a huge number of people to be self-sufficient, which we are, Tenwick is right now, but barely, is just barely squeaking by. And uh, I'm not entirely sure why we think we have to do that when we look at our brothers and sisters in America, and it's a tremendously different uh, situation economically. So uh, is 100% the right goal? I don't think so. I think you could come up with 75 or 80, and, and you'd still be doing great. You'd be, you'd be doing wonderful. Most mission hospitals don't, don't make it at that. Our capital expenditures at Tenwick come primarily through fundraising programs abroad, largely in the U.S., but some other place. But operational budget comes through funds we raise there in Kenya from Kenyans. Yes? So the question is about creating, uh, as I interpret the question, creating margin for your life and your family and other things. And so I've solved that whole problem. I have that down pat. Um, yeah, talk to my wife, <laughs> who's not here tonight. She's in Kenya taking care of our children. That's a tremendous, that's the rub. That's very difficult to do. And again, that's a whole other talk, which... But to answer your question, I mean, um, that's where it, it really, the rubber hits the road. And recently, I've personally taken on some new responsibilities which have, have put me sort of right at the edge that I'm not sure that I can push any further. But some of these programs like developing research assistants. So now I don't have to do all the endoscopy. Bob does it. Bob learned how to do and we trained our Kenyan nurse how to do endoscopy. So he does 90% of the endoscopy now. But some of those types of things of developing and delegating uh, responsibilities goes a long ways. Um, but it is one of the big areas that you'll struggle with all your life. In our own, in a word to tell you, in our own family, in our own marriage, I believe we face it by, as long as we realize it's not, it's not me against my wife or me against my children. or It's sort of us against them, if you will. It's us all working together to, to, to develop a ministry that's glorifying to the Lord. And there are times we, we sway one way or the other. But if we all realize together that we're making sacrifices for the Lord and we do what we can to maintain as a family. So I'm not at my son's debut tonight. I wish I could be. Um, but I'm not. But he understands that, and he wouldn't have it any other way. He'd, he'd prefer that I be doing the Lord's will. And he says, Dad, you can see it better on a tape anyway. You know. And uh, so, again, I could probably talk for a couple hours on that. But the Lord does provide for those things. So. Last question. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a good question about where do doctors go that we train. I don't, we don't have a formal kind of database, but I can tell you we have a number of doctors who are uh, district ministers of health throughout Kenya. We have some who are working in mission hospitals, some who are working at our own hospital. Uh, we have a clinical officer now who's working in Sudan uh, in a, an area of tremendously underserved area. Uh, so we have people spread throughout. Some are in the government program, some are in the private sector. Um, there are times, you know, you'll get a little discouraged and you'll say, why aren't more people staying in medical missions when we're training them to that? Well, when you think about in the United States, one-tenth of one percent of all doctors are willing to do that. So why, is, why would Kenya be tremendously different than that? Um, so when we have maybe 10% working in mission hospitals and other things, I think we're, we're not doing badly. But wherever they are, we feel like we've discipled them, we've trained them well medically, and they are working for God's glory somewhere. So I think we've reached the end of our time. Thank you very much. Appreciate you.